0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians uh, chapter 3. Please find Colossians with me. Chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 12 to 17. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. This is the word of God. So as those... Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, To God the Father. This is the word of God. It stands forever. Can't argue with what we just read.
1: Put on tender mercies. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Long-suffering. Everybody says amen to that. Of course. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But I got to start paying attention at some point. Because while that sounds somewhat flowery to us, maybe, that's pretty stiff stuff. Forgive like Christ forgave? Christ didn't forgive the small stuff. He did. But he forgave some pretty big stuff like rebellion against him. Think of those who are cursing his name today. Cursing his name. Have you thought? No name gets cursed like Christ. Have you ever thought of that? His name gets cursed all the time. And he forgives those who put their trust in him, even though they've cursed his name. Think about that. Well, what we've read just now is Perhaps easier to preach on than what we 're about to preach on the next verse, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and after that, husbands love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Part of our problem when we often hear people speaking is we often hear someone speaking, and it sounds really good and In the beginning of the book of Colossians, Paul talks about vain philosophy. There can be such a thing as vain philosophy, meaning empty words. Words that sound really good, but then when you're done hearing them, you say, you know, what did he really say? I, I can't put it in a sentence. I can't put it in a paragraph. It sounded good in the meantime, but I can't apply it. I don't really know what was being said. I have no idea. And Paul is aiming against that in this book. And Paul is going to say some things that you're not going to be able to make mistakes about. Like we just read, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, don't be bitter toward that, toward your wives. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your chil- children to wrath here. This is, now, this takes explaining, and it takes elucidation, if you will, But we're not guessing at what Paul is talking about here. We might be excusing it. We might be running away from it. We might be explaining it away. We might be saying, yeah, Paul's talking to that culture there. We might say all those other things, but we can't mistake what he's saying here. We can't do it. And please know that as a preacher, these words were written long before I got here, and they'll be here long after I'm gone. And I trust you'll listen today to some of the older we'll, we'll, we'll actually quote some of the, a, a church father today, and you will know again, that the problems that we face today in our marriages are not new. They've been around for quite a while. Well, Colossians 3:19 today: "Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter toward them." And that's our central idea this morning. Our central idea is that men, husbands, have a tendency to be bitter towards their wives. They have a tendency to do this. If they have that tendency, they need to check it. They need to go to war against that. And don't worry, ladies. Everybody relax, because your turn's coming. I have been amazed. I have been amazed, at the, especially the modern commentaries, and how weak they are on the wives submit to your husbands thing. That's weak. Oh my like, word. But this is the Bible that we're dealing with here. You know, you have people say, you know, the Bible says, husbands submit yourself to, or wives submit yourself to your own husbands. And people will say, I don't like your interpretation. And of course, my response is, I didn't interpret anything, I just read it. Hey. Love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Last week we looked at what the scriptures had to say in Ephesians, husbands love your wives. And we looked at what that meant and we looked at the example that was given to us in the scriptures and it was the example of Christ dying for his church. Not too difficult to figure out what that illustration is because Christ died, bled to death, bled to death on behalf of his church. So we don't have to guess there, do we? But today's passage, why does Paul say, don't be bitter? Is there not much more he could say or or different? Why doesn't he say, don't embarrass them? Or don't be mean to them? Or maybe don't be ungrateful for them? It seems that we could place many other words in Paul's mouth here. Why? Don't be bitter. Why? But I hope to point out that if we will understand and apply Paul's admonitions here, one positive and one negative, right? One positive, husbands love your wives. One negative, don't be bitter against them. That many other problems will not develop, or that these problems will not develop into bigger problems. And that's a big part of my point this morning. That if bitterness gets in there on the part of husbands, it it just never stays small. You either get rid of it like a weed, or it'll grow and take over everything. An additional point here. This is a time to believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If you are becoming a modern modern preacher... We have a lot of these going on. We have, we have megachurch pastors who will tell us that the Bible is not really inspired, but we really have just opinions of various various uh, leaders and teachers. And we can put a Paul's idea of salvation over against Peter's, over against Christ. We should know better than this. Paul had something to say that in the book of 1 Corinthians, didn't he? I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, and of course the ones who really... Who really uh, I, 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 still, I can't say this without laughing. Uh, you know, People are, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul. But I don't know which group I would have been. I would have been that last group. Hey, I'm of Christ. Gotcha. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. I'm, uh, yeah, but I'm of, I'm of Jesus. No, we've been warned against that kind of nonsense, but that is going on. And see, once we decide that we can judge the Bible, the Bible no longer judges us. And this is the time to remember that the Bible judges us. And if we have a problem with the Bible, it's us that needs changing, not the Bible. You know, we memorize verses like this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, and so forth. But did you see the two of these, of the four, Admonitions here, prof, all pro, given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, good. For reproof, so good. So good. For instruction and in righteousness, oh, okay. We're okay for do- doctrine and for instruction. For correction and reproof, maybe not so much. But all scripture is good for these things. You know why? because we need correction and we need reproof. Did you know that? You need it. I need it. We'll talk about that a little bit later, this morning. In other words, you and I will either be corrected by Scripture or we will correct Scripture. Let me say that again. You and I will either be corrected by Scripture or we will correct, or we will correct Scripture. This is what Paul meant. This is what Paul should have said. This is what the Bible should have said. Yeah. One or the other? No third way. Well, I want to start this morning. I want to discuss that word bitter. Yeah. Um, husbands love your wives, and don't be bitter toward them. You know, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. Easy to figure some of these things out. I was amazed at the commentaries. There are some commentaries that are like commentaries on the entire Bible. There were more than a couple of these that just skipped right over this verse, I mean, completely. And what they did, you know, sometimes I say to myself, you know, I, I, could, be a, I could write a commentary. I, I probably I shouldn't, but it's like, I man, I could do this. See, what they did, let's tell you what some of them did. This is what they did. They went to this verse here. Um, it says husbands love your wives right and they said see our notes back in Ephesians that's, that's what they did right well the Ephesians ha- says husbands love your wives but it does it say don't be bitter against them right and I'm looking up what's this bitter thing about right and the comment ah go over and look at my, over and look at my notes over in Ephesians you'll figure it out like come on guys any more help than this and um, some didn't even do that I was kind of surprised at how how much a lot of commentators just didn't say a whole lot about this and I was complaining to my wife about it a little bit and just saying you know some, some com- commentators will wax eloquent on some of the stuff that's really kind of not that hard to understand and they'll go on and on with flowery language and then the stuff that is hard to understand, where are you? So we'll do our best to not do what the commentators have done at least to, at least in my case anyway. This word, bitter, some, some translations say, well, don't, don't be harsh with them. I, I, I think the correct, to, to don't be bitter against them is, is, has got it right. Here, here's, here's why. This word bitter doesn't show up in interpersonal relationships anywhere else in the scriptures. This particular word. Other words translated bitter do show up. This word shows up again in, of all books, Revelation. And that's it. That's the only other place where it shows up. Here? This word for bitter in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, it's talking about um, a scroll that John had to eat, you might remember. And it was in his mouth, it was sweet as honey, right? But in his stomach, it was bitter. That's the word being used here. And it's in the, it's in the middle voice, and I don't want to get into this too, too deeply, but I have to because language matters. Language is important. And in English, we have a couple of, we have... Two main voices, the active voice and the passive voice, right? Uh, as we've said this before, I hit the ball. Um, I am the subject. I'm acting. It's the active voice. I hit the ball. But in the passive voice, it's the ball was hit. Let, for Illustration. The ball was hit by me. Uh, in, in other words, the, it's, it's, it's a passive. It's, it's In the passive voice, the subject is being acted on if you will. Now the Greeks, they had what was called a middle voice. It's not active or passive and it's difficult for us to translate this sometimes. But that's what the voice is right here. It's the middle voice. And that's why I don't like the idea of don't be, don't be harsh with them. That's, that's active. But it's, I think it's more accurate right here in the, in the, in the middle voice. To, you know, don't, don't be bitter. Don't, don't have that feeling of being bitterness. Don't act on it. It's harder to explain, but it's the voice that's being used here. A.T. Robertson says, stop being bitter or do not have the habit of being bitter. Don't be in that state of being. Don't be bitter towards your wives. Now, why does Paul say what he says? Well, first of all, from John Gill, Commenting on this, and John, Bill, John Gill comes through for us here, I believe. Be not bitter against them, turning love into hatred of their persons. No husband would do that ever, right? Ruling with rigor and in a tyrannical manner, behaving towards them in a morose, churlish, and ill natured way. You ever do that, husbands, towards your wives? Upset at something they did, so we're going to give them the silent treatment. You offended me, I'm going to f- offend you back. Giving them either bitter words or blows and denying them their affection, care, provision, protection, and assistance, but using them as servants or worse, all of which is barbarous, barbarous, excuse me, brutish, and unchristian and utterly unbecoming the gospel. Don't you wish you'd go back a couple hundred years and, and hear preaching this clear? <laughs> from, from Spurgeon. Oh, there are some spirits that are very bitter. A little thing puts them out, and they would take delight in a taunt which grieves the spirit. I pity the poor woman who has such bitterness where she ought to have Sweetness. Yet there be some such husbands. But why this admonition today? I think there's five reasons here. Because bitterness is a real tendency, number one. Number two, because bitterness will ruin everything, not just the home. It goes beyond that. Number three... Because bitterness on the part of a husband is irresponsible. It's giving up your responsibility. And number four, because bitterness is the beginning of ingratitude towards God. And number five, because it fails at the very point it should succeed. I'll explain these as we go. Starting then with number one bitterness is a real tendency. It's a real thing. So yesterday, you have to balance my stories, right? The stories where I'm the hero. Sometimes those stories need a little balance. You're about to get some balance. So yesterday, I wanna paint the laundry room And um, we had our son David come and do the the drywall work. Raise your hand if you hate drywall work. Oh, man, it's the worst. Dust everywhere. You never really get it right. You you just never do. It's always, you think you're done, it's always screaming for another coat of that joint compound stuff that you're going to like sand down and fill the place up with dust again. So thank you, David, for coming and doing that work. So I am ready to go. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, a, put a, uh, a primer on it. I'm, I'm ready to go. And so there's some stuff I had to get out of the laundry room. One of them is a big, um, really, that's actually two big uh, cabinet-type things. So I want to get out of my way. You want to get stuff out of your way when you paint, right? Get as much stuff out of your way as you can. So I am brought the one out, and then the other one, bring it out. And um, I'm going to tell you the the great offense of my wife here. This is a great offense that she did. She had taken the primer can and put it on top of the five-gallon bucket. Should never do that. So when I'm carrying out out the the big cupboard, it's heavy, right? And I'm 65 years old. I'm not the man I once was. And... Don't I hit that paint can, knock it off, and paint primer everywhere on the carpet. I mean, it it was thick. It was thick. Do you know what my first thought was? You can guess. My first thought was like, you knew, Joel, that that Five-gallon bucket was there, and then the paint was on top of it. You knew it the whole time. That was not my first thought. Yeah. My first thought, why did she put that there? Yeah. there? There is no rationality behind that thought of mine. But my first point here, because bitterness is a real tendency it's a real live tendency I had to be bitter towards my wife for putting that paint can there. She would have put it there. It had not very little to do with me, not knowing what I was doing, not really being as as what as thorough as I should have been. Like lift the cupboard over the paint, or maybe better yet, get it get, get it out of the way. Oh no! Why did she put that there? And you know, I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about even, even explaining this this morning, and, I've, I, I, and I thought about asking the question, husbands, has that ever happened to you? But I don't even want to ask it that way, because that sounds like, you know, it's not my fault I think that way about my wife. That just happened to me. So it's a better question, husbands, have you ever thought that, actively thought that? Bitterness is a real tendency. We have a tendency to be bitter towards our wives' husbands. And sometimes there's a reason. We could say that there is. We can justify it, but in this particular case, I had no reason at all. I knew where the five gallon bucket was, I knew where the paint was, I knew all. Oh, first first thought. Why'd she put it there? Bitterness is a real tendency. Number two. Because bitterness will ruin everything, not just the home. From Adam Clark wherever bitterness is, there love is wanting. And where love is wanting in the married life, there is hell upon the earth. And Adam Clark is asking if bitterness is allowed in the home, where is love going to enter? Seriously, we have bitterness in the home, and we've we've come to accept it. We've come to agree with it. We've come to live with this bitterness. All right, where's love coming from then? Hint, not from the state. Philip Schaff, on the duties of husband and wife, all other social duties rest. To make the marriage the less sacred, to encourage its disillusion is like poisoning the wells of an entire community. Philip Schaff is dead right. We can whine about the entire community and there's a lot to whine about, there's a lot to complain about, no question about it. But what's going on inside your home? Husbands especially. Are you entertaining business to, uh, bitterness towards your wife? Bitterness will ruin everything not just the home. Number 2. Then number three, because bitterness is, on the part of a husband, irresponsible. And I'm going to combine that with number four, because bitterness is the beginning of ingratitude towards God. The beginning of it. Listen to what I'm saying, my friends this morning. There's a reason why Paul puts these two together. And there's the reason why put, Paul puts this whole thing together. He, he puts it all together here. You know, wives submit to your own husbands, is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives do not be bitter towards them. Children obey your parents in all things. And it's going to come right back at you. You don't know my husband. We mean submit, to, submit yourselves to your husband. You don't know your my wife. Love her. Don't be bitter towards her. Children obey your parents. You don't know who my parents are. You see, Paul puts this kind of all together in, a, in almost like a shotgun blast right at us, right? Uh, all the reasons why, all, all the things he's telling us, very practical stuff that we cannot mistake. He's putting it all together for us and he's telling us that if we will not do what he says here, we won't have what we had earlier, you know? Holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, etc., etc. Oh, we're all about that out there. We're all about that to our church, family, tender mercies, kindness, and so forth, forgiveness. How about home? How about that? A little more on that later. Bitterness on the part of a husband is irresponsible, and bitterness is the beginning of ingratitude towards God. And I can't stay away from Genesis chapter 3, so please go there once again. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see this played right out in front of us. In the very first marriage ever, and in some of the things that we said, we're going to see it all play out. Irresponsible and ingratitude. So let's start with irresponsible. This is after the, uh, they've taken the fruit, and God has laid the curse on the serpent and on Eve, the woman. But verse 17... Adam's getting his turn. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I command you say, you shall not eat of it. And then we get the um, few verses there with a the curse. Now I want to notice here on verse 17, pay attention to this. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. So what did Eve say to Adam? The answer is nothing. Nothing recorded ever, anyway. So why is God saying to Adam, because you heeded the voice of your wife? I believe God is pointing out, and and, you know, in the passage, Eve didn't say anything. She didn't say a single thing. She just took the fruit. Well, she didn't just take the fruit, but I mean, among the, she did. She took the fruit, and she she ate it, and she gave to her husband, and he ate it. And then God says, because you've heeded the voice of your wife. See, God is bringing Adam up on charges here, I believe, of complete irresponsibility. Eve was supposed to be listening to Adam, not the other way around here. Adam was the one that had gotten the command from God, don't eat from this tree. But I think what's happening here is that if Adam won't teach his wife, things are going to happen in the home that are going to be really, really bad. And so we don't even have Eve's voice here, but we have Adam's irresponsibility. Notice what it says, he heeded the voice of, of his wife. She didn't say anything necessarily, he just gave it to her, but he still was listening to her when he knew better. And he did know better. Last week we heard of the prophet, when uh, Tyrus preached on this point, we heard the, from the, about the prophet who did hear directly from God, and then we heard the other, from the other older prophet who did not hear directly from God, but who said that he did. Adam heard directly from God. And he decided that the voice of his wife was what he should listen to. Irresponsible. But what Adam did was he traded present peace for future problems is irresponsible. Well, what did that look like then? Hey, present peace, what'd that look like? Well then, bitterness is the beginning of ingratitude towards God. In 312, and we've looked at this before of Genesis, the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. <laughs> God's fault. My friends. If we're going to put God on trial in our marriage, there's not going to be anything left of our marriage at all. Because you know why? We'll judge the God who gave us, our, our, the, the wife that he gave us, that great gift that he gave us, and we'll judge him. Once we start doing that, we'll start judging the word, and then we will no longer have correction and reproof. And I got to tell you, if you don't have any correction and reproof in your life, you're in very, very bad shape because we all need it. And if you don't get correction and reproof, you're not getting what you need. Correction and reproof are like water, you need them. So, bitterness on the part of a husband is irresponsible, and it's the beginning of ingratitude towards God. So, we see then number five. Because it fails at the very point it should succeed. Who has a problem with bitterness when everything is wonderful? Man, if my wife was just like exactly like I'd want her to be, I wouldn't even have a problem with bitterness. We're being told here not to be bitter because things are going to happen in your marriage that are going to make you want to be bitter. It's going to happen. We are not being told here to not be bitter when everything's wonderful. Paul is assuming by telling husbands not to be bitter towards their wives that things are going to happen to want to make them bitter. And Paul says, don't be. And Paul's not lining up all kinds of questions and answers. Well, well, if if she's this, and she's not that. See, that's what we would do, right? If she's this, not that, not that, this, whatever, then it's okay to be bitter or not bitter or whatever. Paul's not even talking about all these reasons. He's not mentioning them. He's saying, don't be better. If we want to qualify this all over the place, we'll qualify it right out, to, out of existence. Oh, well, you don't know my wife. Well, think of the church. Christ gave his life for the church. Question. Your wife might be hard to love and not be bitter against. Think of Christ and the church. Think the church might be a little hard to uh, love. Maybe. One church father said this. He He said, I tell you what. He said, I don't know your wife, but I guarantee whoever she is, She is not as hard to love as the church. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In this case, don't be bitter against them. From a church father, Chrysostom or Chrysostom, people say his name differently, a fourth century church father, He talks about this topic. He talks, he he puts his finger right on the issue of excusing why I can be bitter towards my wife. See, that excuse pops up all the time, doesn't it? We gotta be careful with this kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not gonna be bitter towards my wife as long as she is what I want her to be. We're not talking about that. We're talking about not being bitter against your wife when she is not what you want her to be. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Paul's talking about. And this passage won't do you any good if you want to qualify Paul's admonitions out of existence. Yeah, I won't be bitter against my wife if. Marriage, says Chrysostom, can be a a refuge, but also a shipwreck. Not due to its own nature, but rather at the hands of those who abuse it. For he who observes the rules within it will find in his home an In his home and wife, comfort and relief from all troubles he meets in other places. Yet one who approaches marriage rationally and carelessly, even though he may enjoy contentment in his worldly pursuits, will find unpleasantness and distress in his own home. Chrysostom is talking there to men who work hard at their business, who work hard at their jobs, maybe work hard even at their houses, and those worldly pursuits. And he's saying, do you work hard at loving and caring for and cherishing your wife? Do you work that hard, he's asking? He says, care for your wife as Christ does for the church, even if you must give up your life for her. Tolerate repeated losses and suffer something something terrible, tolerate that. You must not abandon her. For by suffering thus, you will have done nothing in comparison to that which Christ did for the church. Chrysostom is saying, of course, you're going to have stuff to put up with. Put up with it. And don't be embittered against your wife, even though these things happen. What is to be done? If the husband is meek and the wife is nervous, sharp tongued a blabbermouth, a spendthrift, and has many other failings, Chrysostom says, how can he, poor fellow, stand this daily unpleasantness, pride, and shamelessness? Or what if she is modest and quiet, and he is rough, suspicious, short-tempered, enjoying the arrogance of wealth and power, treating her, a free woman, as a slave, and thinking her no more than a servant? How can she endure such humiliation and oppression? See, this is, this is the point where we, in our modern, our modern situation, start to qualify things. Well, Chrysostom has a different answer. He says this, Bear all this slavery, for you will only be free when he dies. But as long as he lives, you must zealously try to reason with him and improve him. Or if this is impossible, bravely endure the endless attacks and relentless, relentless verbal, he says verbal, abuse. Elsewhere, Chrysostom advises husbands to arm themselves with indulgent patience and wives with complete submissiveness in order to stop all discord. One may say, My wife is foolish, wasteful, and has many other flaws. Chrysostom says, Put up with it patiently. This is why you occupy the position of the head to heal the body. It is written, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Well, How do we apply this today? How do we put all this together? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Christ in Matthew 5 is going to apply this for us. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And of course, by now you're thinking, what's this doing in a sermon on husbands not being bitter towards your wives? It's funny how we're good with this passage when it comes to people far away, with it, far away from us. Yeah, 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 love your enemies. Do good. Pray for those who use you despitefully. Yeah, 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 I can do that. They're nice and far away. But how many of you know somebody? I hope it's no one in here, here in this room. I hope not. Maybe it is in some cases. How many of you know cases where the biggest enemy a person has is their own spouse I don't want to see hands do you know cases like that oh and we're all about it we're all about this passage loving your enemies yeah we quote it all the time oh yeah pray for them yeah that's yeah, good admonition don't do it too much but yeah it's pretty good admonition you'll a guy you know speak well of those who hate you Oh, yeah, we can do that for them out there. Do you understand what Christ is saying? He's saying, do this for your enemies. My friends, if we're to do this for the enemies, and, 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 and you know what? It doesn't say that if you pray for them that the this, that this spiteful use and the hatred that's coming your way is necessarily going to stop. Christ doesn't qualify this just like Paul doesn't qualify it here. My friends, if we can believe this for our enemies, can we not believe it for our spouse? See, we're all about it far away. When it comes close, we all have reasons and excuses why it doesn't apply to us. My friends, this is the word of God here. This is what the scriptures teach us. This is what we are to believe here. And if we're going to love Matthew 5, and we do, because it's the Beatitudes and it says other wonderful things, then we had best believe it for our own spouses. And yeah, we have all kinds of reasons not to obey Matthew 5 when it comes to, when it comes to the people close closest to us my friends I think Christ actually makes the application for us here in Matthew 5 I really believe he does the things that are happening in Matthew 5 love your enemies let's see bless those who curse you do good to those who hate you pray for those who spitefully use you persecute you there are some marriages where this kind of thing goes on and i would encourage you this and some of you know you may have friends that where this goes on people you know marriages where this is happening i would encourage you to start here yes you know what i believe you that you have a husband a wife that treats you spitefully curses you even that happens all this How you doing with Matthew 5? How you doing there? I would encourage you to start here with Matthew chapter 5 when it comes to husbands being embittered against your wives for all the reasons you say you have to be bitter against them. Maybe you have good reasons, bad, whatever. Paul doesn't care that much. He's not talking about that and neither is Christ here in Matthew 5. Shall we pray? Lord, we know your institution is under attack. Under attack from all quarters. Lord, help us to begin by doing, what you, by doing the word and not hearing it only, but by doing it. And thus... Bring peace and happiness, not only to our own homes, but beyond our homes, into the community and into the world. We pray in the name of Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.